My name is Jason from the Misplay Podcast, and you're listening to Farming Eternal, the number one eternal podcast. Welcome to Farming Eternal. This week, our audio for the first few minutes cut out or was very sporadic, so I had to delete that. So the show starts very suddenly. But for those of you who don't know, we are Farming Eternal, a draft-focused podcast for the Eternal Card Game, hosted by me, Patamaro, and Hats on Lamps. Enjoy the show. This one is more work than I expected. What do you think, Hats? Uh, well, uh, I yeah, there was more questions than I expected, and they also cover a wider range of ground than I was thinking they would. So I think I think probably we're gonna there. Are, some of these questions will have long, interesting answers, and some of them won't. <laughs> some of them will kind of skim <laughs> and give perfunctory or jokey answers too. So we'll see. Yeah, and then uh, as a further warning, uh, we've never done an ask me anything episode before on this podcast so i'm not sure how it'll go I'm not sure how long it's going to take nor am i sure it's going to be interesting for the listener so if you guys <laughs> you know so the point the point is let us know what you think if you like these episodes maybe we'll do another one in the future because i think it, it has the opportunity to be fun but we'll see we'll see how it turns out and then also if we end up, if it ends up going long, we might not be able to get to all the questions. I'm hoping we will, but you never know. I'm not, I, I don't want to be here all night though, because we are starting a little late. We ended up uh, talking about Eternal for an hour before we started recording the show today. Yeah, but you don't get to hear that. That was great material, but that's that wasn't recorded. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're gonna talk about Eternal some more now. But we already used our best stuff. I just want to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be to be fair, it was mostly constructed talk. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so uh, enough of that. So, how was your draft week, Cats? Uh, it was it was all right. It was pretty good. Uh, I would say that I've struggled a little bit with this version of the format. Like, I had a, I had a real hard time getting getting seven wins, and then I got seven wins for three drafts in a row, um, and all of them were extremely aggressive firebase decks. So. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened there. Um, I think I'm pretty comfortable playing very aggressive decks. And so when the opportunity came along, uh, I jumped on it and it worked out for me. I think Fire is probably a little bit underdrafted, or it was just that weekend. And uh, and uh, and so that was, I don't know, it was good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still top 10 in the rankings, and uh, I'm oscillating back and forth. There's some real tough competition there. Um, I was ranked one for a little while, and then Isomorphic in October just saw that. And we're like, well, let's play until he's not, and then, <laughs> and then I wasn't anymore. Uh, I've never faced October on the ladder, I don't think. I see the name at the top of the draft list all the time, and I, I, I guess they're on the other side of the world from me and never play at the same time because I've never played against them. I've played against Isomorphic quite a few times, but never October. It's interesting because you play, you seem to play at all times. Yeah, I do. I play, I play at various different times of the day, and um, but not all of the times of the day. Like 4 a.m. my time is not when I play, and I guess that's when October plays. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's not that much more to say about uh, aggressive strategies, although there is, but it works into my, it kind of connects to my card of the week. So I'll, I'll wait to talk about aggro draft yeah. until then. All right. Yeah. I, the one thing I was going to say about that is I've also been having a lot of success with fire decks, and I've found that unlike what we said in last episode, that 
I've had a lot of luck getting into the Oni deck, and I don't know why, but I just have, in a few drafts, just aggressively started picking Acclaimed Artisans in pack two, like the second I see an Acclaimed Artisan. And just like, even for, even if like Fire Justice, one of those seemed not to be very open, still managing to get two or three Acclaimed Artisans And then that seems to be just, like, a strong enough base to, like, cobble together a pretty good Oni deck that does pretty well. All right. Well, that's a good tip, then. Um, I haven't been able to make it work myself, but I haven't really been trying to either. Yeah. Uh, The one time I tried to go in on Artisans, uh, it it wasn't really coming, and and I audibled back out into something else. Yeah, I know. Like, just, like, even if I'm not in Rakano yet, if I happen to have like a fire some fire justice cards coming out of pack one and then like in your second pick in pack two if i see an acclaimed artisan i've just been snatching them up and having pretty pretty good success uh ending up in that deck which i guess dovetails i did make masters this week so that was pretty good and we kind of talked about this offline with and we had uh, opposite perspectives, but I was going to say in my how I've been doing this week that despite being a little skeptical of the changes to the mysterious changes to the mysterious ranking system that Dyrolf Digital has for draft, that I've been liking it a little bit more because at least where I am, I've been feeling like the swings are less. So I know some people have been complaining that it's been harder to climb. But I've found that it's also been harder to fall. And so once I get to Masters, I often have like pretty severe ladder anxiety. And the fact that when I lose, I only have been losing a couple places has sort of opened up draft for me a bit. And so like my last few drafts, I've been like experimenting a lot more than I do normally just because it doesn't feel as punishing to get punished, you know, by experimenting. So... Yeah. So I, I don't know how they've changed it or what they've changed or if they've changed, but I've been feeling better about my master's ranking currently. That's good. And I'm familiar with the that anxiety, and that is what they were trying to address, is people not wanting to play once they reached a point in master's where they didn't want to lose a rank. Um, in case anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, Direwolf released sort of a mini update that just said we we know that a lot of people have been camping on their rankings um, and and not playing so that they don't drop out of the top 20 or the top 100 and they wanted to discourage that so they made a change to the way the ranking system worked but then they didn't say what that change was at all uh, so we just have to guess that it, they made it a little bit more difficult to to climb and to fall and when you're in the top 10, I don't think it's as noticeable, and so that's why I have a different perspective on it. It was always kind of difficult to gain a lot of ranks or lose a lot of ranks uh, from that point, so um, I'm, I'm not experiencing a huge difference one way or the other, so, um, but I'm happy if, it's, uh, if, if the effect that it's having is that, it's, is, is that it doesn't make you so anxious to just play a draft because i that's that's how i felt the first time i made masters way back when and then that's the way i felt 
almost every time I got to Masters or got into the top 100 or then the top 20 was that I just didn't want to play draft anymore. And I didn't want to make a new account and play with that one either because that's just, it feels like going back to zero again. All right, yeah, so that was how my draft week was. So pretty good so far. Sounds pretty good. I, uh, I think you're in the same boat where I was really hyped on my draft week and then I, I just had a couple pretty bad drafts. Which, yeah. So... I'm I'm feigning a little bit of my enthusiasm, but <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I would love to 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 just draft the most aggressive decks available, but I get bored doing the same thing, so I start uh, playing suboptimally and drafting suboptimally just to be able to do something different, and then I start losing again. If only I were some kind of robot like this October person that I've never met and never. <laughs> seen photographed with anyone so i'm not sure they're a real person (laughs) if only but uh, all right so let's move on to announcements where um as always we thank our patrons so for those of you who don't know we do have a patreon which you can check out at patreon.com slash farming eternal and we have a few patrons and we have a few stretch goals that we talked about last week so if we hit uh fifty dollars hats and i are gonna do a live episode on twitch We'll also, this seemed like maybe it was confusing for someone on Reddit, we will also release an audio version of that. So for those of you who don't use Twitch, don't worry. It'll still be a great episode. Don't let that dissuade you from from signing up. And then at $75, and I did later confirm this with Hats, um, he's going, we're going to raffle off uh, a coaching session with Hats um, to one of our lucky patrons. So... And we did get a new patron this week, so thank you to Big Salty for signing up. So we are creeping closer to those goals. So, And then thanks, as always, to our veteran patrons, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Tokut, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Cassandrith, Jed the Homrid, Raven Dragon, Esrich0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yistout. So let's move to card of the week. Okay. Um, Hats, what's your card of the week? My card of the week is Dread Hellkite. Uh, Dread Hellkite is a uh, is a shadow unit. It costs four double shadow. It's a four three uh, dragon. It's a four three nightmare dragon with flying and deadly. It can't block. And when it comes into play, uh, you play cowardice on an enemy unit, which means that unit can't block. Uh, so I chose this because. Uh, there's sort of a controversy around it, I guess, um, or it's being evaluated in a way that surprised and interested me. Uh, I was watching a stream, I believe it was Cassandra's stream, and he had a pretty good Feln deck going, and then Dread Hellkite came up in one of the packs, and a lot of people in the chat said, don't take that, it's not any good. And then Cassandra said something about how it, like there's, it's not good in most decks, and it's only good in a few decks. And I thought that that was... I thought it was an interesting reaction to a card that is pretty obviously very powerful. And I think most people had that reaction when they first saw it in the spoiler, or first saw it in a draft pack, was like, 4-3 flyer for 4, that's awfully good. Why does it have deadly? Uh, <laughs> you know, also, it makes something not block. That's very good. Um, and then I think the second phase of, of most people's relationship with Dread Hellkite is that they were in a game where... Uh, they were maybe in trouble, maybe being attacked by like a 6-5, something that they couldn't block, um, and they needed to top deck something that could take care of that problem. 
and then they top deck Dread Hellkite, and it's like it sort of aggressively doesn't take care of that problem. <laughs> like it says right on the card, "Hi, I can't solve your problem for you. I don't block," <laughs> and and then you start getting a bad feeling uh, whenever you see that card because it so betrayed you. Um, and uh, I think it's a little bit unfair. And I'm projecting, obviously, because I, I don't know uh, why people are so down on the card. But a lot of cards don't deal with a problem of needing to top deck a blocker that can take care of a large minion or, or whatever it is. You know, your two drops don't take care of that problem either. They just delay it by a turn. And the worst that could be said of Dread Hellkite is that it's a very narrow card. It is clearly a card that is meant to push through damage and then be able to attack itself very easily. And... It does that so well, perhaps better than any other card, <laughs> mm-hmm. that that I don't think you can ever just t- look at it and say, oh, I don't want that. That's not going to be able to block when I need something to block. Like, you can, you don't, you never look at Eviscerate and say, oh, I don't want that, because that's not going to be able to kill my opponent with damage. You know, like, it, it doesn't do that. That's not what the card does. Dread Hellkite attacks, and it does it super well. Yeah. So, uh... And and I had two of them in in one of my decks that I was talking about. I got I had of the three decks that I that I won with in a row. One was Praxis, and the other two were Stone Scar. And the best of those decks had like three Oni Patrol and uh, two Dread Hellkite, and then just a bunch of good stuff in between. And it's really hard to fight that, you know, because I don't even have to put anything in particular out as long as my units do damage each turn, because then the Dread Hellkite comes in and. And part of my opponent's army can't uh, can't cope with just the however much damage I'm I'm doing every turn. It's uh, there's there's basically no other card that's as that's as powerful at doing that specific thing as Dread Hellkite is. So um, I think another part of it is that people don't draft super aggressive decks that often. They try to draft for value, and I'm a little bit more comfortable drafting decks that. Uh, that have no value that really only attack to win mm-hmm. i think than the average than the average drafter and so i value this card higher because i'm more likely to end up in that kind of deck and uh i i think uh you know if there's a theme to drafting um and being good at draft it's to be good at all styles of it like i think a lot of people have a um, a particular type of draft deck that they do really well, whether it's like long-term value or like early defense and then win with flyers and bombs or whatever it is. Um, and if you don't know how to draft a really good aggressive deck, uh, you know, learn how, because it's a, it's a real good skill to have. Dread Kel- Helkai is, I think, an interesting card. Um, I, after you picked, when I saw that you picked this as your card of the week, I, I thought... A bunch more about the card because it's a card that I draft very highly, mm-hmm. but it's a weird card. It's weird in that I always feel like it does better for, for people who play it on me than <laughs> when I play it. And I was thinking about why that could be. Um, I mean, besides for obvious like woe is me biases and sure. um, and stuff. And I was wondering if it's because I, I like you, tend to draft aggressively, mm-hmm. um, and my play style, at least I, f- I feel like maybe I play overly aggressive. So like, oftentimes I try to like force races in in games. Sure. 
And this card wrecks me yeah. whenever I do that because I'll I'll leave just enough back where I won't die or something. Yeah. And then they play a Dread Hellkite and I don't have enough to like, I can't then like double block their attacker and then right. in two turns I'm dead. And I feel like, and so I've always had this like weird mixed feelings about Dread Hellkite because it never seems to work as well when I play it because I feel like the people I play just probably play more conservatively. So like the, a unit can't block doesn't blow. It never yeah. seems to blow out opponents as badly as it blows out me. Uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's probably exactly what's happening is, 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 is people can be very tentative with, um, and safe in the way that they attack. And then dread Hellkite isn't going to be as good. Uh, it's going to be better when you're forcing them to make blocks every turn. Yeah. And then, and then dread Hellkite will take away the, the piece of the puzzle that they were counting on. And also, um, I know I've heard uh, quite a few people ask like why it has deadly when it's already a four, three flyer. And I've found that it deals with one problem very well, which is marsh dragon. It doesn't attack into it without dying, but at least it attacks into marsh dragon. And there's not very much that can attack into a three, nine flyer besides dread Hellkite. So, mm -hmm. Um, it deals with that one problem pretty well, and then your other units can can attack because that giant wall isn't there anymore. Can you talk more? Maybe this is just like too hypothetical, but like when they have just like a marsh dragging, and you play a dread hellkite, do you say like on average you put the curse on the marsh dragon so your dread hellkite can get in, or do you say on average you like? take out a, a, a ground blocker that's kind of in the way and then hope to force them to block them. Your oh, normally my Dread Hellkite is down before their Marsh Dragon is, but if it happens that there's a Marsh Dragon on the board, I'll probably just put the Cowardice on that because that's the that's the blocker that's causing me more problems. I'd right. rather be able to do four damage per turn with my Dread Hellkite than kill a Marsh Dragon with it. So you want to keep the Dread Hellkite on the board um, and do and do damage with it every turn. That's what it's really good at. And also, it's a really great reanimate target. What is it called? <laughs> what's the what's the very common reanimation? Immortalize. It's a really good immortalized target. And I know I say that about a lot of cards, but uh, some cards are better with immortalize than others. Dread Hellkite's awesome because if the Dread Hellkite dies while it's got um, well, it's got exalted, uh, the, the thing that inherits its abilities can block. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's got all the good things about Dread Hellkite minus the one minus the one downside. I will say, I, I think I don't play Immortalize correctly in my aggressive decks either. Yeah. Because whenever I Immortalize a flying unit, they never die because I'm always attacking with it. And then <laughs> I either win or I lose. And I'm like, oh, this <laughs> giving this Exalted didn't help me at all. Yeah. I often, if I'm in a, if I'm playing an aggressive deck, will immortalize without decimating it, just to get something on the board as quickly as possible. Like with that, with that last Stone Scar deck, the one with three Oni Patrols, I immortalized Oni Patrol on on turn three all the time. Yeah, like it was happening constantly because I just wanted to make for one thing because it would make it a four three a lot of the time because I had just attacked with something else, uh, so it was worth it. And and just because you needed to. I needed to be doing as much damage as I could in the first few turns of the game. 
so that um, so that whatever my whatever my reach situation was would actually uh, get rid of the last points of the, the the life total. So there was no point in me like sitting on the immortalized to try to get value if I could just make another if I could just make a three two or a four three right away, and then because... I couldn't decimate because I didn't have any power enough because it would have crippled me at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Though I lost to a few really aggressive, I've lost to two people today that really aggressively decimated their draw strengths. Like at three power, they mm-hmm. they would block and decimate their draw strength, get down to two, and I was like, that seemed really aggressive. That seems great for me, and then I still lost, and it was a little sad. But. Yeah, it's <laughs> like even low percentage plays, you know, some that there's still some percentage, so sometimes it's gonna win. <laughs> yeah. <the> thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've seen some real i've seen some real bad cards be fine in a situation that's just perfect for them speaking of bad cards i kind of wanted to talk about mountain goliath uh-huh and i'm just like kind of surprised that this is such a universally agreed upon bad card uh-huh and because i don't think i've ever played against a mountain goliath Oh, okay. Maybe you have because you you do play more than I do. But like, uh, I've yeah, never I drafted into, I don't one. run into I've... it often. I've played it a couple of times, and I've run into it a couple of times. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, and it was a it was a big game winner for me in one of the early decks back when Flames of Zulta first came out, actually, and I was experimenting. Um, I actually had that deck had a chant a chant to Grodoff in it, and. That's the one that gives everything in your hand plus one plus one and overwhelm. Yeah. And key here is the overwhelm. Because Mountain one of the bad things about Mountain Goliath is that it has no abilities whatsoever. It's just yeah. big and may it's not always big. But if it is big and it has overwhelm, that's a lot better than just being big. And I had at least one game where that thing got up to be like a like a twenty twenty or something and it had overwhelm. And I had tricks in my hand, and so I, that you know I was able to win the game with it. Um, I don't know how good I would feel like it is now. I actually just had it in my last draft deck, kind of as a finisher, because I didn't have, I wasn't able, I was, I was a, I have, I had this four color deck. It only went four wins, but I think it deserved better. And it was mostly time and shadow, and I wasn't able to pick up as many Grodos favorites uh, or other or like you know mandrakes or other strong six drops as i'd like so a mountain goliath was kind of standing in and mm-hmm. like uh it didn't have a chance to shine i don't think it ever got to be better than an 8-8 um but it does have that problem where you don't really want it in your opening hand because you want things that you can cast right away in your opening hand uh-huh. and then if you draw it later then it's just a 4-4 and you need to wait until you draw more units before it turns into something more interesting yeah. Uh, so so yeah, it's there's 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 a lot wrong with it. But I think if you are if you have more control over when you draw cards, such as uh, with cards like Manufacture and Aspirants Robes and things that directly put cards into your hand, then I think it gets a lot better because then you can do incidental things and fight for board. And like play units and stuff, um, but then also you're powering up your finisher in in like a big way. And mm-hmm. there's always the risk that it's just going to die to an eviscerate or something, um, like any big unit. But you just uh, immortalize I, it. 
you just immortalize it and then it's and then it's basically Maritza. it's just huge i don't know if, if Maritza is the right way to say the name of that that part <laughs> i just realized because i make, it makes it sound very italian and i don't think it's supposed to be yeah no i did like how you came up with scenarios where it could possibly be good like i said i was just really surprised because I, you know, I just wondered if there was no Mandrake and this had to be Time's big finisher, like, would it appear more or is it just like a stone cold bad card? Um, I think it would show up a lot more if the six drop situation in this format wasn't already like just loaded to the gills. Mm -hmm. You've just got so many big finishers. And they're all so good compared to Mountain Goliath. All Mountain Goliath has going for it is if it's in your hand for a long time, it gets to be rather large. But yeah, uh, I think with Grodo's favorite as a common, it's tough because that's already big enough. And and Mandrake, and then over if you happen to be playing Shadow, you've got Bane Wolf at seven, which is a better card than Mountain Goliath. And there's there's just too many. I, yeah. there, like like I, a couple of a couple of formats ago, or maybe your last format, I forget. There was, um, there was like a seven eight sentinel or something, you know. And then when it it had infiltrate endurance, so if 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 your opponent let it through once, then it just dominated the board forever. Yeah, and I think that cost seven, and so it was sort of in a similar situation, but it was the biggest baddest thing around, and so you would play it if you were playing a slow deck. Because then you wanted to have that one thing at the end that your opponent couldn't quite deal with, um, and it and it did a great job at that. But there wasn't any anything else in that format really competing directly with it. And there are a lot of things competing with Mountain Goliath here. Yeah, yeah. Because I I looked up the stats for it, and out of two hundred and sixty two decks, we've had five of them in our seven win decks, the time deck. So it's about using our metric it appears in decks about one fifth as often as you would expect just like a random uncommon to appear sure yeah um, and it's down there with uh cards like cleansing rain cleansing rain sure. has as many copies as mountain goliath goliath does i mean i've seen cleansing rain in the in the wild too but i think the number of times i've seen it be good um uh, or i think i've maybe twice i've seen that happen and mm -hmm. the number of times when it's been in my opponent's hand and they've been frustrated that it doesn't do anything are probably a lot higher. So it's just kind of interesting. Though I will say, one thing, when I went way down, I had to scroll way down to the bottom of the spreadsheet to find these cards. But know what two cards have not appeared hardly ever? And this kind of relates to your cards from last week. Rosebloom Mandrake is right down there, only appearing in seven decks. And uh, and that's a common. And Malays, we've only have eight copies of Malays in our spreadsheet. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, I think that they're extremely powerful cards in the right deck, both of them. But that deck doesn't come along that often. Yeah, and that I think that's 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 part of the reason. It's not that it's not that they're not good for what they do. It's just that they're highly synergistic cards. So you don't, you don't play them that often. You're not going to find them. You're not going to encounter them that often. And you're not going to have them in your seven win decks because it's so much easier to put together seven win decks that aren't like strictly discards. Yeah, I agree. I was just surprised because I do agree that they feel a lot more powerful than how often they're appearing in the deck lists. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, like you were kind of hinting at, there's just there's many possible explanations for that, ranging from the fact that they're very synergistic and hard to get together, so you just would see them be strong less often, or they're being underdrafted, or they're like oh, it's a very good combination, but you know, it's like a five or six win good combination as compared right. to a consistent yeah. seven win combination. So anyway, I I had um, this week did draft a couple decks uh, sort of, I don't know if I ever put malaise in my deck, but kind of a, a Rose Bloom, Befowl style decks and had some pretty good success with them. Sure. Yeah, I had a, I had a, a discard deck recently. It went six wins. I had two malaises in it and it, it was fine. Yeah. And then the one last thing while I was looking through the spreadsheet I think we've gotten no more copies of Ruin in the spreadsheet since we did that episode mm-hmm. where you uh-huh. said... Yeah. Yeah, consider Ruin. No, uh, it's, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> like, like, part of it is that people are straight up just not playing Ruin, and so they're yeah. not going to show up in the, in the spreadsheet. Uh, there's no way to tell. I mean, you can't make people try a strategy that, that feels dicey and then just to see how many of those decks would actually make seven wins. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that Ruin's always correct. And also, also, I think it's easier now to get our attachment removal um, that's attached to like a weapon or a, a unit. I think mm-hmm. it's easier now than it used to be, especially because you start with the um, you start with the packs, the draft, the draft packs. You start with the draft packs, and you and you have you have Ruin Crawler Yeti, you have Stronghold Vandal, and you have uh, Ruination Sledge. And the, it's not hard to pick up at least one of those cards if you happen to be in fire. And then you don't really want to be playing a Ruin because you already have that effect if you need it. Ruin what? Crawler Yeti is just great. All right. So speaking of our spreadsheet, um, one of the things we do for this podcast is we collect people's seven-win decks, which you can mail us to farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them into our Farming Eternal Discord, which you can find a link to in the show below. We accept exported deck lists or any kind of Eternal Warcry link. And what we do is we take all this information from our listeners, compile it into a spreadsheet, and do some analysis on this to draw some conclusions, like what what factions are doing well or what cards are doing well in the current format. And then we try to pass this on to you. We also read your name in a really long list. Um, So... Thanks, as always, for John Holio for entering all the lists and making this list a name for me. So here we go. We have a few new contributors this week. We've got A.V. Gotts, Damien R., Gothic Mike, Not- Nils H., and Sakarnin, as well as our veteran contributors, Abednego, Ben Gracier, Kalebovich, Celtic Guardian 7, Collector, Darth Herman 2, E. Moneybags, Hats on Lamps, Hot Nickelball, Jacob P, Jedi EJ, Joey Andy Juve, Jose Carlos twenty one twenty one, Cassandrith, Mancio nineteen eighty two, Mercurio Blue, MLNTN, Nether, Nero, Ulrich, Patomaru, Raven Dragon, Rofer, Spiffy Man, Tempest Dragon King, and Yam Yam. So thank you again for taking the time to send in the list. We really appreciate it. So yeah, I don't have a lot to say here again today, but um, you can check out the spreadsheets if you want. We'll have a link to those in the show notes. Uh, interesting thing is we've gotten about 
60-something some, uh, lists of the new format so far. And pretty interestingly, um, Time, Shadow, and Justice are all more or less tied for first place. Big thing in the old, uh, in the previous set seven format, you know, it was mostly uh, the Combray colors were sort of far above all the other colors. And then sort of Fire was kind of doing average and then Shadow was below that and then Primal was doing really poorly. Um, but Shadow has sort of usurped Fire as being the number one color and it's appearing in... 31 of the decks that we've received. Time is in 31 of the decks we've received. Justice is in 33 of the decks that we've received. So they're yeah. all doing about well. Um, Fire's in 20% of the decks. And Primal, as a main color, is in 11 of the decks that we've received. So it is, once again, far behind. Though, if you consider splashes, 22% of the decks that we've received splash Primal. So... It's like crazy. So primal has been is being splashed currently more than it is a main color. So 14, 14 of the decks are splashing primal. And if you compare this to the other colors, like time is being splashed in four decks, justice is being splashed in four decks, and fire and shadow are even less than that. So yeah. there's like a huge gap in how often primal is being splashed currently. Yeah. That makes sense to me. It's really good splash color because there there's a ton of like little things like uh, changey stick and green stretch empath and just sort of powerful cards that are easy to splash. And so what this means is that um, so far Cambrai still our best color combination, but actually Xenon took a huge jump, and Argentport also had a huge jump. So Argentport as like a main color faction was almost like non-existent in sets in the previous set seven, but it's appeared in a bunch of decks so far. So it seems like that color combination has gotten powered up a little bit. Not exactly sure why, except maybe the individual colors have gotten slightly better because it doesn't seem like there's any like Argent port specific synergies that improved. I mean, if I had to guess, it would just be that the quality of the commons in the first pack for Justice and Shadow is is pretty far ahead of the other factions. Mm -hmm. Like you get you get Toroid Test Pilot for Justice, and that's a good reason to move in all by itself. And Shadow's just sort of got a good spread of commons that um, yeah. that outclass anything that the other factions have for the most part. Um, so it, it just, it's just sort of easy to end up wanting to play one of those two factions at the end of pack one, because otherwise you have to throw out a lot of picks. Yeah. And uh, what's the uh, what's the Shadow the 3-3 three, three that shifts called? Yeah, that's a big deal, too. The um, Crooked Alley Guide. Yeah. And that's the thing, is because, like, you know, if you have Crooked Alley, it's kind of like you were talking about with your Stone Scars deck before. If you have a few Crooked Alley Guides and you have a few toward test pilots doesn't really matter what's happening in between yeah. those two yeah i don't need a lot of synergy you've got good one drops and three drops in one card and then you've got a good four drop so it's a good start for a deck so shall we move on to our main topic yeah yes please okay so yeah this is our ask me anything um so our first question is from jed the Homerid, who asks so what's the origin of your in-game names? 
Great. Uh, well, what's the what, what? Well, let me let me throw this to you first. Me first, because I th- I think you've had your name longer than I have. Uh, well, it's been a couple years, but yeah, there you go. Yeah, it actually started. I don't know how in depth we want to get in these questions, but not not very in depth if we want to get through all of them. <laughs> okay. But this I think some the of them final, more than others, right? This like, is the final iteration the of a lot of embarrassing names that I I had for years previously, but I finally switched my name. I lived in I've I lived in Japan for um, a little over five years after college, okay. and um, I finally got so embarrassed of my old username that I used uh, since high school that I I came up with this one because. I um, I took part in the the high school that I was teaching at. I took part in their school play, and uh, my name was Patomaru in the um, in the play because it was kind of Pato is how you say uh, how you say Patrick in Japanese is Paturiku, so it's like Pato, and then Maru just means circle. So that's just the name they gave me as my character. Can you tell us what your previous name was, or was it too embarrassing? It was B L Y Love Ranger. Was... <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh people would call people would read it, it would be like bly lover anger and i was like no and it was an inside joke and the inside joke's too embarrassing to tell so i don't even want to tell that story to explain this embarrassing username um, it and then does say lover anger though doesn't it <laughs> it does say lover anger <laughs> So, uh, you know, once I started to apply for jobs, I realized that we needed to change the old email address. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> That's fair. And uh, and that that was actually replacing my old AOL name, which was uh, Vanguard 8. But uh, a year into having that name, I realized that I spelt uh, Vanguard wrong and had switched the U and the A. So that was pretty embarrassing, too. So... Well, well, this one's spelled right, right? This is a good place yeah, to settle. One. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, so mine, uh, I've only had it for a few months. I forget how long, uh, but I changed my name recently. I actually had Direwolf change it in the game. So the first place that I used Hats on Lamps was in Eternal, and now I just use it as my gaming name if I need to sign up for anything. Um, my previous name was Psychotronic, and I used that for many, 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 many years. Uh, when I wrote for Jay's Games, I was I was writing under the pseudonym Psychotronic. And I liked that name because it sort of had a lot of meanings, but most people don't know what they are. Like Psychotronic is sort of a, a genre of movie that's sort of trashy movies that try to manipulate your mind kind of with, with like images and sound and stuff. Uh, and it also sort of refers to like secret of mind control and stuff. But uh, none of that is uh, is stuff that I can like get behind emotionally anymore. So I just wanted to to get a fresh start, and with something a little bit more whimsical. And so in my last apartment, I had a very high cabinet, a very tall cabinet that came with the apartment and was installed there. And there was a little space between the top of the cabinet and the ceiling. And uh, my father actually suggested that I get a a, a a small lamp for the top of that cabinet to sort of. Uh, illuminate the place from above in kind of a cool, unusual way. So I got a spherical lamp, just an orb that kind of glows, and I put it up on the top of that cabinet. And then when I moved to my new apartment, I don't have a tall piece of furniture anymore, but I still have that orby sort of lamp. So I put it on my dresser, and it looked stupid there. 
so I put a hat on it. Uh, and so the light kind of shines through that hat in kind of a neat way. And, uh, and, and so when I was coming up with my name, I just kind of looked around my apartment. <laughs> and, then, and then even though I didn't know you yet, um, I knew it, uh, I, I made it plural because I knew it would eventually annoy you. <laughs> I just wanted to know where all these people, it turns out, if you look down in the questions, people want to know where all these lamps are. Yeah, where are all these lamps and hats? Well, no one's, other than my avatar picture, no one has has seen any of them. But I have more hats and I have more lamps. uh, And in the future, I may combine them for some purpose or another. And uh, and then you'll see what's what I tell you. All right. So continue with Jed. He asked a few questions. So I'll, we'll start with you on this one. So did you ever think you'd be hosting a podcast? No, I didn't. I don't really listen to podcasts, so it wasn't Shh. among my fantasies. <laughs> What's that? Why? Why can't I say that? What no. possible reason could there be? <laughs> Everyone well, listens to podcasts. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, everyone I know listens to podcasts. I'm basically the only person I know that hasn't really gotten into them. I go in and out. Like if someone recommends something to me, then I'll listen for a bit and then I won't. I don't know. I just never got into the habit, even though it's basically radio on demand. And I used to listen to radio. But uh, yeah, no, it just was it it was something that uh, it was something that happened rather than uh, something that I planned for. What about you? Because of my job, I listen to a lot of podcasts because I'm often doing very boring things over and over again by myself. And so I have an opportunity, mindless things. I'm doing mindless things over and over again. So I have a lot of opportunity to either think or listen to podcasts. And uh, and because actually before I started doing this podcast, I listened to a lot of magic podcasts because I didn't have time to play magic nor lived in an area where it was easy to play magic and so i but i i even though i have not actually played a lot of card games i always loved card games and the concept so i kind of played them vicariously by listening to a lot of podcasts about magic and um so when i started playing eternal the fact that there was not that there's not podcasts for Eternal, there are and there are there are several very good podcasts for Eternal, but felt like there was no sort of a deep strategy sort of there. Well, there definitely was no draft focused podcast about like how to get better at draft. And there are a few of those in Magic. And so it felt like it'd be really great if there were one. And since no one else was doing it and I kind of always wanted to just like try doing a podcast, I uh, created this. And so I don't know if I ever actually thought I'd be hosting a podcast, but it had been a thing that I had imagined doing. Okay, so uh, I kind of answered this other question of, are there any other games that you play? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't no? really play any. I play okay. a, a couple board games every once in a while with my wife, but okay. e- even then, very but rarely. No, but no video games? No, uh, my uh, oldest son is turning six soon and he's gotten interested in like wanting to learn how to play minecraft so we've been we play that every once in a while but he's still not like coordinated enough to like use a mouse and keyboard effectively but um and he constantly talks about fortnite though i don't think he's ever actually seen fortnite 
Yeah, those are the two. Those are the two. I have a I have a a, a young sort of a half sibling uh, at, who was really into Minecraft for a while and now is really into Fortnite. And so apparently that's every child now uh, yeah. gets to gets heavily into Minecraft and then later Fortnite. Uh, it's like required because otherwise you don't have anything to talk about with with people your own age. <laughs> like he had Minecraft shirts and it was weird because I remember when Minecraft came out and he didn't exist yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is funny. Like Ernest, my son, was like that, too, where he had like he would like draw pictures of Minecraft. And I'm like, you've never played Minecraft, but he would like draw the block guys and the zombies and. Yeah, yeah, seeing merchandise for games that you sort of like did never get heavily into yourself is uh is is an inter- is interesting. Like I was blown away when I saw that like Angry Birds pillows at an airport, you know, it just made no sense to me. But you on the other hand, I think I'm a bit of a gamer. I've always it's always been it's always been sort of my main hobby. Um and uh I've only started playing Eternal a lot like a few months ago, you know. So uh, I um, it was it was sort of my secondary game, and now it's my primary game. And but I'm always uh, dabbling in something as a secondary game. And right now it's Shovel Knight because Shovel Knight just came out with a new quest line. Uh, I don't know if you know what Shovel Knight is at all. It's, I uh, do. So uh, yeah, and it's a retro game. And they and the people who make it, uh, Yacht Club Games, have uh they reached some stretch goals with their kickstarter early on like we're going to make quest lines for for a few of your favorite bosses in the game and then rather than just sort of say here we made the bosses playable but it's basically the same game they just designed entire new levels around those bosses abilities and so it's as though the game has been re-released um completely remixed three times over since they first released it uh this has gotten them a lot of love from the indie game players uh for for obvious reasons so and and every one of them uh, except maybe the the second one where they hadn't quite worked out the formula yet has been great and they just released a new one i think yesterday or the day before called king of cards which comes with a little collectible card game within the game that's already a fun platform game so it's great and i'm enjoying it i'm playing it slowly i'm not playing i'm not binging it because it's only gonna last so long and there's only so many really great games that come out so i'm like uh i'm playing it bit by bit as as i uh uh, as i as i as i desire dopamine i play a little bit of it here and there uh and it comes in little bite-sized levels too so you can play it as much or as little as you want i don't really play triple a games that much like the ones that um everyone gets so excited about like i've never played anthem or anything so i have no time to get angry about things like anthem or fallout 76 or any of that stuff because i'm not interested in the first place Mm -hmm. uh i like i like retro games because those are the ones that i grew up with so i like playing games by the people who grew up with my games that wish that those games were still the main kind of thing yeah. Uh, so like Yacht Club grew up with those games. And we're like, we're going to make some of those. And I'm like, I'm going to play the games that you make. So the, my, the game that I'm looking forward to the most out of any game that exists is Hollow Knight Silk Song, which is the sequel to the game Hollow Knight. That is a Metroidvania. Uh, maybe the best one that anyone's ever made, Hollow Knight. And they're coming out with a sequel, which looks even better. So that's, that's my game that I'm, I'm going to be all about when it comes out. Yeah. And then on my mobile uh, and then on my phone, I, I play a game called um, Antimatter Dimensions, which 
is an incremental game where you watch numbers go up and that's it. <laughs> you, you watch numbers go up and tweak settings so that your numbers will go up faster. Uh, I've been playing it for months and it's awesome. It has no graphics, no hook. It's got no visual appeal whatsoever. <laughs> it's the purest form of watching numbers go up that I've been able to find. Uh, I also love that game, Antimatter Dimensions. It's free. <laughs> it's it also asks very little of you. <laughs> Uh, cool. If you've ever seen anything like Cookie Clicker or Kitten's Game or whatever that game XKCD made, it's like that. I don't know if that any of those ring a bell for you, but I mean, I've anything. heard the name Cookie Clicker. I've never, yeah. uh, uh, I've paper, never seen or played it. But Universal Paper Clips was actually won an award. It was a similar thing where there was no graphics. It was just you sell paper clips. Anyway, I was really into incremental games for uh, a couple of months, and then. I settled on antimatter dimensions, and then my life was complete. So, um, John Holio asks, uh, which Eternal Draft format has been your absolute favorite so far, and why? So, do you uh, have an answer for this? Not really. Why don't you go ahead? Okay. Yeah, uh, the 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 set that comes to mind is the first set five, and the main reason for that actually is just that I started the show, so I have. It was the first set that I really um, heavily played and. And really thought about on a really deep level, and so I think it'll always hold a place in my heart because it was kind of like the turning point in my eternal draft career, or whatever you want to call it. Where, and it was, I think, a very good format. I really liked the three color format. I kind of liked how, especially um, in the first one, you know, there wasn't a super ton of fixing, even though it was a three color format. So you really had to kind of balance this, like building a three color deck but supporting it and i don't know it's just a fun format and it was kind of the format where i came to realize that um despite all of all of my own like my self-image i was a, a much more aggressive player than <laughs> than i realized i was and and i feel like since then i've slowly been coming to terms with that and learning that about myself and actually drafting decks that match my my more aggressive play style you know what i mean sure yeah i feel like there was i i started with there was a huge disparity between how aggressively i played the game and how aggressive my decks were and so i had to i've i've had to learn to kind of meet in the middle a little bit yeah that makes sense so any format that comes to mind uh, not really. Uh, I don't have special feelings about that one format worked a lot better than any other. But so set five was three color and like it had renown, right? That was yes. that one. Um, I think I would say that was th like that was the one where I first started kind of getting good at eternal draft mm -hmm. and 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 feeling like it was possible to draft different types of decks and and focus on different things, even though. Uh, the renowned deck was probably the best one. There, it was still possible to do some really interesting things in that draft format. So I was really enjoying that. I kind of think that I enjoy the one that we're in now. Maybe not the one that we're in now, but when the the Flames of Zolta first one, the last one. Mm -hmm. um, just I, I I think I like that one better. And it would be hard for me to say exactly why. 
I think it I, again. I think it feels like there's a lot of different things that you can do and be successful at. Even though there are some very dominant strategies, I don't feel bad going into other strategies, or at least I didn't. I feel bad now going into other strategies because of the because of how weird Pack One and Pack Four often are. But before the switch, I I felt pretty confident doing a lot of different interesting things, and and that's what I look for in a format. Um, but then again, but set five stands out because that was the one where I kind of keyed into how Eternal Draft worked and started getting really good at it. So that's that's it's it'll always be the set that I that I kind of fondly remember. So <laughs> Oldrich, he asks, what is your favorite card to draft? Uh, I guess I'll start this one. Uh, my favorite card to draft is sort of an evergreen card. It's Momentum Builder, which has been in a lot of formats for a while now. I think I'm not mm-hmm. sure when the card came out, but uh, I love that card. It's a colorless uh, 0-10 for 4, and when it attacks, which it's unable to do without the assistance of other cards, it gets plus 3, minus 1, and it has Reckless, so it has to attack. And I just love the whole concept where this giant thing keeps getting bigger and bigger every turn and has to attack, because it's also called Momentum Builder, and that's exactly what it does. And it takes a little work to make it uh, happen, but also it's a it's a huge blocker for four power, so you can put it in almost any deck and not have to warp your deck around trying to get the thing moving. Uh, but it's also very easy to get the thing moving, and it's it's such a hard card to deal with once it, once it gets going. So... Uh, that's the one that gives me the most warm fuzzies when I when I see it in a pack because I just know it's like ah I, I I get to draft this I don't have to think about this pick that hard <laughs> it's yeah. probably the best card in the pack and it's colorless so I can just put it in it's always surprising when this gets passed because like you said it's just more or less good in every deck you know in your defensive decks it blocks in your aggressive decks you probably don't have a combat trick or a weapon to trigger it. Like that, uh, like the mountain giant or whatever that gives plus two, plus two, and overwhelmed to something is a great way to get it started, and it happens on the next turn. There's so many yeah. good ways to just get it moving. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, my card is a green stretch empath, um, which is of the current set, and the reason I pick this one is, I mean, first I like always pick them, probably to my detriment, mm-hmm. but. I just like the card because it feels like this is one of the few sort of build-around cards that Direwolf has done that is both, like, has a pretty playable rate. Like, this was not a safe card on, on their on their part, as compared to, um, oh, geez, Expedition Leader. You know, yeah. when they first came out with that, that was like a three-cost 1-1 one, one that could draw you two cards. Yeah. This, at least, is like... A five yeah. plus three five, yeah. so it's still like a at least a playable stat line, yeah. With incredible upside, as compared to a lot of their other previous like, hey, let's try to do this fun build around uncommon synergy, and you're just like, well, this card is unplayable if I can't do that synergy. Problem with it. There's a few cards that they kind of put back into the curated draft packs now, uh, including Expedition Leader. Uh, and, and and but also there's not even as many shift cards as there were back when Expedition Leader was last in the formats. So it's it's a real waste of space now. Yes, I agree. Yeah, and it's hard to get muster activated consistently. It's hard to draft a deck that will make it happen enough to justify putting a whole bunch of muster units, but it's fine. It's it's not that hard to make it happen once. And Green Stretch Empath is insane if it even goes off once. Yes. 
Exactly. All right. So then Jed the Hammered once again asks, uh, Hats, what's your worst pack one pick one? I have no idea. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember there ever being a bad path. Pick one, pack one. Uh, uh, I don't retain a lot of information from my previous drafts unless I specifically write it down. You know, like bad experiences don't stick on me. And so I think that's healthy for one thing because I'm not dwelling. But also uh, it makes it so it's hard to answer a question like this. So I have I have, I have no answer. Do you have an answer? I also don't. I think, I guess... I'm not quite sure what it's getting at. Is it what card did you hope to build around pack one, pick one? Because like there are often pack one, pick one cards where I pick a bomb and then it turns out I'm not in those colors. And I, and I of course wished I had picked a different colored, but that is no, everyone would have picked that card, you know, so that's not like I did something wrong. And I don't, I usually don't draft very many like kind of, fun synergy based decks so there's no cards that i'm like oh i wonder if i can make this work and then i pick it and then it turns out horrible um there's a card that we used to talk about in our old episodes a lot which are the smugglers which people i think less now but used to pack one pick one those all the time are in i guess set five and we would constantly say they're a horrible pack one pick one because they're People did, they're good in ranked, but they're double color and, yeah. or they're, you know, they're, they're dual faction and the smuggler ability is just like so much less good in draft because you just have fewer playables. And so there's fewer good cards that you can put in your market. Yeah, that's true. They're still playable though, I, but they are not as good as in ranked at all. I'm uh, thinking back, uh, my my worst pack one pick one is probably from the beginning of this format when I thought Stand Strong was a fast spell. So <laughs> I, po- I, m- I may very well have picked one in an otherwise weak pack thinking this is a great trick <laughs> and then being unable to use it in a game the way I expected. Uh, I did that with Endure, which is an old card, Injustice. But I just like... I thought I the, was like what zero zero power give a make a unit indestructible or something like that. Yeah, but it's not fast. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I was just like it was like a card that I always glanced over, and then I read it one time, and I was like, "Isn't this just a better metal? How is everyone sleeping on this card?" <laughs> and then I put it in my deck, and then <laughs> I went to cast wow. it, and I was like, "How come I can't cast this card?" And then I took it out of my deck. But that wasn't yep. a pack one pick one. So that doesn't count. Yeah. And I don't know if this was either. But I know I was taking them pretty high at the beginning <laughs> of the format for, for exactly one draft. So let's just say I probably picked it way higher than I should have. All right. And then sort of in the same vein, um, Camomilk asks, what's the jankiest legendary you actually managed to get work to get working well in a draft game? Yeah, well, I this didn't isn't a legendary, have a very good it? answer for th- what? This isn't a legendary, though, is it? No, it's not. I I got that covered. Okay. Um, All right. I'll shut up. <laughs> yeah. Well, because when when Camomilk asked this, I went and looked through all the legendaries that Eternal has, and first there are not a ton of janky legendaries. Yeah, that's true. And there's not like it felt like there's not a ton of like build around 
legendaries either. There are a couple fun ones, like one that I think you'll mention, but nothing really popped out at me. It was like either they were unplayable or very strong. Um, but then, um, actually today, I drafted, for the second time ever, I tried to draft a Caleb Sanctum deck. And Caleb Sanctum is from the last set. It is Fire Sanctum, so it's four fire, and it says, at the start of your turn, transform all weapons on units into a random weapon. And I tried drafting this deck once in the previous format and then quickly realized that there were hardly any weapons in set six. But there are a lot more weapons now. So I got past this. It was about third, it was probably third pick or something and someone passed this to me and I was like, oh, let's try. And then it was just like the deck built itself. It was like, I got into this like incredible, this really aggressive Rakano aggro strategy. I picked up a lot of weapons. I picked up a few bad cards, but I really wanted to make this work, like Call to Arms. I even picked up a bunch of time weapons. I got like an Echo weapon and I got a, the Praxis card. I ended up not splashing them just because I got so many good fire weapons. But man, that deck was sweet. I lived the dream. I Caleb Sanctumed into and then played a call at arms and i turned that and then <laughs> the next turn it immediately stunned a unit and destroyed one of their weapons because i got a ruination sledge and uh, a line breaker shield on one of my units <laughs> so that was sweet in another game i was about to lose and i just had one unit out and they had three and and but the previous turn i played a caleb sanctum and then so on my turn it turned into a touch of talent talons so i got the amplify for two play two five fives they managed to deal with both five fives and then on my next turn it turned into a, a clutch of talons again and i got the amplify for two more five fives so it was pretty sweet so yeah, I would correct. recommend, and I actually think it's probably, obviously, if you're just, like, trying to get seven wins, probably not the card to pick. But it was shockingly successful. Yeah, I see I see Caleb Sanctum go by uh, fairly often, because people pass it, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't know, I might try it sometime, especially if there's nothing else, like, exciting in the pack. Because, uh, yeah, on average, weapons are much better than like the plus one plus one echo one and that kind of thing that you can just sort of throw on a on a monster and um yeah yeah for the sort of for the same reason that uh caleb himself is a powerful card is that yeah. it's almost always an upgrade even if you're it's just oni's putting tiny little weapons on each other yeah and you know there's just a lot of ways you know you put a little weapon on your oni forge master then you get another what one cost weapon for that and all of these like um spellcraft weapons you know you get the you do have to pay the power but they're just like a free spell that you get for no work more or less uh, yeah, obviously it's, it's all random but there's a lot of them and there's a lot of good weapons yeah and it's at the beginning of your turn so all your power is open yes exactly I will say, at least on mobile, it is very unclear what you're doing when a weapon transforms. It's not exactly clear yeah. what it's asking you when you're like clicking on units. You know you're supposed to be clicking on a certain unit, but you're not exactly sure 
what you're it's, it's time to make a decision no time to explain yeah that's that's what it felt like a couple times because i i kept it finally my turn would start and i'd be at like one power and i'd be like what did, what, what did i just do i can't play any of my cards now but uh but it was definitely worth it um so I'm, gl I'm glad that happened today or else I would not have had an answer to this question. Yeah, I don't really have an answer to the question. Uh, I think the jankiest legendary that I tried to make work was a Knucklebones that I saw early on once. Um, and Knucklebones is a, like a seven power Skycrag relic, I think, that uh, transforms all of the cards in your deck to random cards and then you draw two cards per turn. So it seems like it would have been a lot of fun as a finisher in a control deck, but uh, I never even drew it for the entire draft, so I can't say whether I made it work or not. Uh, yeah. It's not applicable. Yeah, the only other, and I've told this story on the podcast before, but this is the opposite of the question, where <clears throat> it's a great legendary, but I built I built a Skycrag aggro deck with a, a single splash of Dizo's office. And... Uh, <laughs> all my my whole curve more or less ended at three except i had a Dizo's office in it and it was also amazing okay <laughs> it should not have worked but cards like that people just didn't know what to do so i'd be playing all of these yetis this was in not in this current format this was probably set five two and then people would be about to beat me because they would stabilize and then i'd play a Dizo's office and then people would just like concede because they had like, <laughs> and you're like, if you just a spaced, I would have been dead. But people just like, <laughs> like no, no, you played a card, no, so, <laughs> lucky. We should we should do a show sometimes just about uh, cards that people concede to when maybe they shouldn't because there's quite a few of those. Uh, All right, question, so for a, a, a more serious question, uh, Raven Dragon asks, uh, so what is your opinion on the draft? curated packs being tied to the expedition format and do you think this weakens the draft pool by adding cards that may be only suited or best for constructed do you have any strong feelings about this i don't have as strong of feelings as raven dragon um you know like to our second point that this weakens the draft pool by adding cards that may be only suited or best for constructed i do think that's true but i also think that is no different than the old system where they would because like the new set is composed of a lot of cards that are mostly there for constructed and so the draft packs are really no different and i was a little suspicious i guess i'm suspicious of all change but i was a little suspicious <laughs> of uh what <laughs> <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> well, no, because just earlier I was like, I was really suspicious of when they changed the rank system. And I was yeah, really yeah. suspicious when they added the multiplier to cards in the draft pack. Oh, sure. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I actually kind of ended up liking it. And then I was once again suspicious when they changed it to 5x because I had kind of gotten used to the 3x and like I was warming up to, the, to how you could feel good that you would get most of the cards but there'd be a little a little bit of variety in the packs and then i thought with 5x that would disappear you know there'd be less variety and i don't have quite a sense of that yet i'm still i i'm still processing just the fact that they switched the order that i haven't really thought about 
what I'm seeing often or not often in the draft packs. Um, mm. But I don't know. I, I feel like it's worked better than I expected or it's it's worked okay. I haven't minded this format at all. So my my first reaction to this question is what you said uh where every set is full of cards that are intended for constructed. So I'm not sure how um, how this specific uh, tying the draft packs to expedition makes that problem worse or better. Uh, like, are there, are, can you think of any examples of cards that they're specifically putting in expedition and therefore into the draft pool that aren't good and limited? Because it seems like expedition, at least from what I've seen, is mostly made up of cards that you would play in limited almost entirely. I can't even think of a single card that's 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 it good in expedition that you don't also want to see in your limited packs. Yeah, you know, I think um, one of the things that uh, irritated Raven Dragon that sort of brought about this question was when they started adding cards to expedition and the draft packs at the same time like in the middle of a set and mm. she i think she felt like a lot of the cards that were added were targeted for expedition but because they because expedition is tied to the draft packs they were also added to the draft packs sure. and so i think her worry is in the future you know when they need to like target something in expedition they're going to throw it in the draft packs but i think especially if you know, they continue to use this like 5x boosted rate. You're going to see those cards so little that it's 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 not worth worrying about, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's my general feeling about it. I do think that they could have put uh, quite a bit more thought into which cards they boosted in the draft packs to create a healthier environment overall. Because like we talked about last week, the the spread of units that you see in the first pack is 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 very like lopsided mm -hmm. in most of the factions and like like concentrated on two on one and two drops uh, way more than you would want for like a healthy draft format. So if they put more thought into which cards they boosted, where they're not just thinking, "Hey, these go well with the Flames of Zolta cards," but try to create an environment that starts with the draft packs and then also complements Flames of Zolta. Uh, if they took that approach a little bit more, I think the way they're doing it is basically fine. Because um, I'm fine having that variance of, of seeing unusual cards, because to me that keeps the format interesting. I know uh, I, I wouldn't blame anyone for thinking, hey, there's just too many cards in the format and I want to know the cards that I'm playing around. That also makes sense, and there's part of me that feels that way too but I don't mind there being a large card pool either, just personally. Yeah. Uh, I'm not seeing so far... Let's see, they made... I mean, they made all of the changes at once, at least. Like, they added a bunch of cards to Expedition because they wanted to, and they changed the draft format a little bit to, like, and, uh, all at the same time. If <laughs> they were just sort of adding cards every week on a whim, uh, that might start bothering me. I'd have to see how I felt if they started really doing that. But so far, they're not at the point where they're upending the format so often that, um, that it that it feels like I can never get a handle on it. So yeah. far, no. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there's a major shakeup for Expedition when the campaign comes out. And that'll be I'll I'll be interested to see because usually the big shakeup was 
often tied with the campaign. And so since the fact that they did this big shakeup, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks before a campaign comes out is interesting timing, especially because I, I imagined or at least thought that they would shake up expedition when the campaign came out. Yeah, that would have made more sense. Uh, and you know, we don't know why they did it the way that they did it. Um, but, uh, I also don't see any downside to them delaying these last changes until the until the um, until the cam- campaign came out. That would have made more sense. So yeah. we'll see. I mean, we we have no idea. So, nope. <clears throat> Direwolf is mysterious and inscrutable. Yep. All we can do is wait. <laughs> All we can do is stand in front of our window and stare. Next question. Yes, please. All right. So Darth Herman two asks. What are some of your favorite Eternal mechanics? And also, if you got to put a game designer hat on, what mechanic would you create? Yeah, I don't have a great great answer for favorite. I guess my controversial favorite maybe is... <clears throat> I kind of like Exalted. I know that it does um, lead to snowbally games, but I do like the tension and the feeling when someone plays an exalted unit and then you're like, it feels like a puzzle trying to figure out how to mitigate the damage. And so it has felt like it hit a surprising sweet spot where it could have been a very dangerous and broken mechanic, but it has, you know, it's hit that sweet spot of being very powerful, but not being oppressive for me. And the fact that, you know, like sometimes you, if you have a mechanic that's strong, you can just make all the cards bad and then you won't see the mechanic. But they didn't do that with Exalted. You know, they made some very good Exalted cards. And they've made some very good ways to give Exalted. And for such a strong mechanic, I think that was pretty bold. And the fact that it has, you know, I think it has panned out was really cool. Yeah, I think all the Exalted cards ended up more playable than they looked at first. At least if you're me and you kind of looked at them and were like, mm, I don't know, they ended up better than that. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I they are, it's true that they were a lot of understated ones and stuff. But I mean, the fact that Immortalized gives Exalted, like, that could that could be very dangerous. And yet, you know, it's, it ends up, it's a very good card, obviously, but I, it's not like a broken card. No, and it's but it's not a broken mechanic. No, but immortalize is a is a super fun card because you can put it you can immortalize some unexpected things and get interesting effects. Yes, because uh, it's hard to put exalted on something while it's still alive, but it's very easy to put on put it on something that's been killed, and so you can give him you can give exalted to things with killer, and you can give exalted to things with like fly, like all kinds of different abilities, aegis and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, it was smart of them to make Immortalize. I think it's one of the best designed cards in the set. Yeah. So anyway, so I think Exalted is up there as kind of one of my favorite mechanics where it's fun to play. It's scary to see on the other side of the board, but I, it's a fun puzzle to try to figure out how to best minimize the damage. Yeah. Um, uh, I think my favorite is... Uh, my favorite mechanics in Eternal in general are the ones that are sort of unique to Eternal in a way that magic couldn't have ever done and also 
where there's just like a couple of extra rules so that it feels like Eternal has this personality. So even if there was another game that were that was almost just like it, it wouldn't be quite Eternal because Eternal has these very specific mechanics that operate in a specific way. And and so I guess the the mechanic that exemplifies that is Shift. Shift is very similar to an old Magic the Gathering mechanic um, called Suspend which was a very modular sort of mechanic in the sense that it's things could have suspend three suspend four and you would pay a lower price for it but then it would come out several turns later depending on how long the suspend was for uh and then it would have haste or charge when it came into play and that kind of thing um and what shift does is it makes it so there's fewer variables to it. It's always suspended for three turns. It always gets unblockable when it comes into play. And I think that uh, rather than making it feel restrictive, it makes it feel like an uh, like it's a part of the game that's anchored in consistency. And so then all of the variables that have to do with shift are are the specific flavor that the that the uh, the unit with shift gets, and so uh, that makes it feel like really unique to Eternal and like part of the fabric of the way it works. I think another one like that is Nightfall, where like that's that's how Night works in Eternal and Eternal only, and it's like it it you know it damages both of you, and it, like there's some things that work only with Nightfall, but Nightfall always does one thing specifically, and everybody gets more cards, but everyone gets hurt, and it's like a uh, you could do that in other card games, but it makes sense in, in Eternal in a way that I think would only make sense with Eternal. And mm -hmm. it's nice. I like that when they I like it when they make mechanics work well, but also make them kind of quirky like that. Um, yes. I think that gives Eternal a flavor that that uh, that keeps it from feeling too generic. Mm -hmm. Do you think they had any? Would you say any of the mechanics in this set are like that, or I think. Out of all of those, muster is the one that's most like what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I think muster is an odd ability, and <laughs> it it's a super weird way to trigger something happening. So you play an attachment and a spell, what? But it makes sense with the existence of spellcraft weapons. But then it doesn't require you to use spellcraft weapons. It works fine if you just have both attachments and spells. So it's something that's tied into the world because spellcraft weapons exist, but it's not so parasitic that it only works in just this one set. In fact, it works best with cards from different sets. So I think that's the one that has that kind of flavor that I'm talking about the most. Like mastery is is interesting, but it's like a lot of sort of level up kind of mechanics that I've seen in other games, and it's so sort of universal and can be and can have so many different values and so many different effects that I don't think it has quite as much personality as muster does. Mm -hmm. um, not that it's a bad mechanic. I just like, I just have a special affinity for the ones that, that, that feel like they came out of nowhere a little bit. Yeah. Cool. So as far as uh, mechanics I would create, um, the one mechanic that I, I'm very excited for when, uh, Eternal finally does that is a magic mechanic is cycling and uh, cycling in magic is there's usually a, a card will have a cycling cost and when you pay that cost instead of playing the card you discard it and draw a card 
So it's a way to, it's, it turns like any card into a card draw. And um, the, when Shift came out, I was like, they've figured out the interface to do cycling because you put up that Shift interface and then on your left, you play the card and on the right, you cycle the card for the cycling cost. So I'm going to be very excited when um, Eternal finally prints cycling lands. That's what I'm looking most forward to. Yeah, I agree. Cycling would be great. And it's a terrific limited mechanic, too, because it lets you put powerful cards in your deck that you aren't stuck with in your hand. You can just put them back. And I would probably in Eternal, I would probably want the want the card to go on the bottom of your deck rather than in the rather than in the void, maybe. But mm-hmm. putting them in the void does like let you like reanimate them and stuff like that. So depending on what they wanted to do with it, um, it could work either way. But yeah, it's such a great limited mechanic, and it's such a great sort of evergreen mechanic that they can put on, on, on cards like power. Just basically, yeah, you can have, you can have like really good seven drops and six drops and stuff that um, don't, you don't have to wait to play necessarily, and it gives you more interesting choices in the middle of it. It's a great, it's a great mechanic. I'd love to see an internal. Yeah, and like I was saying, like before they had come up with shift, I had been trying to figure out how they would make the user interface but they i really think they figured it out with shift like shift is yeah Yeah, they just took it from mobile dating apps swipe left or swipe right that's the interface for things like this so my mechanic uh i i wanted to come up with like something original when i got this question but i i just couldn't come up with anything uh that i wanted to share so i'm also going to borrow a mechanic from Magic the Gathering that I'd like to see in Eternal, which is Flashback. Uh, flashback is an ability that spells get, and it means that you can cast them from your graveyard or in Eternal from your void, it would be, uh, with an alternative cost, usually. So that means that the spell can be cast once from your hand and then again from your uh, from your void, and I guess it would get void-bound at that point. Um, or if a card got put in your void directly from your library due to, you know, your Sunset Priest or something, then you would be able to cast it from there for using the flashback cost. Uh, it's one of my favorite mechanics. Way back in, in Innistrad, uh, in Magic the Gathering, that was one of the main mechanics there. It was a very graveyard-oriented set because it was sort of horror-themed and there were lots of zombies and vampires and things, and that was one of the things that made it such a fun set is that you got these cool flashback spells um and uh they've done a lot more with the void lately i think but uh i think i it's it's such a great resource that sort of goes underutilized and i don't think the interface would be difficult you just sort of pull up your void or your void would shine if there were the flashback cards that could be cast from it and then you just pull up the void and then click on it and that would cast the spell i think that would be a fun thing to have and it's also a good limited mechanic because it lets you use your uh usually the flashback cost was higher than the cost to play it from your hand so it gives you something to do when you're flooding mm-hmm. yeah i agree that would be fun yeah all right question next question all question, right next question they're numbered here but the numbers won't mean anything so i was going to say question 10 but who cares <laughs> so question is 10 king asks, uh, what was the worst card you've lost to in draft? And uh, on a similar note, what was the most satisfying way you've lost in draft? So this one I think you have the better answers for. Uh, Yeah, I I don't really, again, I don't really remember my bad beats very well usually, but uh, I was beaten in the last format 
by a deck playing a couple of Blazing Renegades, which is a 2-1 with charge for two in fire. And uh, normally I don't even look at that as a card that you can put in your deck. But this person was playing Mono Fire, and they were playing uh, at least two Blazing Renegades and probably more. I only saw two of them. And just the worst, like, low-quality creatures... Uh, but they were all fire creatures, and they all did damage when they attacked, and they just sort of overwhelmed me. I just didn't, I wasn't able to stabilize before they had done 25 damage to me. So that's the one. <laughs> it, was a, it was a blazing renegade deck. And then I, you do have an answer for most satisfying way you've lost in draft too, right? Oh, I do. Yeah, uh, but I, I think I've told, I think I've said this on this podcast before, but I'll say it again. Uh, this was also. Um, early on in the Flames of Zolta format. And uh, Calamity Oracle, the card that discards five cards from your library every time, from your opponent's library every time you play a curse. Uh, so my opponent had a Calamity Oracle, and they also had a Darkweave Enchantress, uh, which uh, you can twist for five to put a minus one, minus one disfigure on one of your units. That disfigure is a curse. So they had both of those cards in play and just uh, milled me for five cards uh, four times in a row, and I died. <laughs> uh, it was I couldn't do anything about it. Uh, I didn't have uh, I didn't have enough attack power to win the game before it happened, and I just sort of had to watch it, watch it occur. And uh, it was, in a way, a very satisfying way to lose, especially because it was so slow. It wasn't like they just suddenly played a recon and killed me out of nowhere with a big unit that I didn't think could attack. It was just like, oh, I can see this coming. Oh, I'm going to die. In, I'm going to die in four turns, and I'm not <laughs> going to be able to stop it. Well, I'm glad you took that well. Uh, yeah, I think I did. I don't know if I did at the time. I'm taking it well now, though, and that's what counts. Yeah, I couldn't think of a great worst card that I've lost to in draft. I do, I do know that you know, because I look at the spreadsheet a lot, I have like a general sense of what cards are appearing a lot. And so like when I lose to just like today, for example, I had it was one deck. And so two games in a row, I lost to someone playing a late game chant of Grodov and then making their one unit in hand have overwhelm, which then killed me. And that was like a little frustrating. How come your one unit in hand happened had to have been uh, Grodov's favored, and then you drew a chant of Grodov and gave it overwhelm, and then killed me, and then um, <laughs> just seems like there's a lot yeah. of things that had to go wrong for me there that all went wrong. So that, that that's what comes to mind right now because I I that happened two games in a row more or less. It wasn't Grodov's favored both games, but uh, yeah. I will say that when I lose to a, a card that I consider bad. I try as like a, you know, as a healthy drafter with an open mind to to say, hey, maybe that card isn't as bad as I think in maybe it's a very narrow card uh, and and I'm, I'm maybe it's a very narrow card and it's not uh, a card that I'm going to be looking to pick up high. But this was a use for it that worked. So clearly it's not completely unplayable. And that's the attitude that I try to have uh even if it doesn't necessarily affect me long term um because uh you know i lose to all kinds of decks and and um 
and I and I and I try to pay attention rather than get get stuck in that sort of tunnel vision thing where I feel like I've got the whole thing figured out. Yeah, no, I think that's a great attitude, and it's something I need to work on more in myself because, like, to answer Tempest Dragon's other question, where what's the most satisfying way you you've ever lost, and I'm like, I hate losing, <laughs> so. It's, I've never satisfied. It never feels satisfying. And it's a thing I need to work on because I I need to spend more time thinking about why I lost in a positive way instead of like calculating the odds of how unlikely it was that I was to lose. I go I go on tilt as often as anyone else does uh, when somebody plays some plays in a way that I consider not great <laughs> and then still beats me. I still don't like it, but I do try to look at it afterwards and go like, was there some legitimate strategy there that I can take advantage of sometime in the future? So it's not just like, well, they got lucky and they're a big sack of luck. And <laughs> I hope, they, I hope, I hope the rest of their life is bad. You know, I, yeah. like that's my first impulse, like everyone. But uh, I, I try to, I try to be better than that. The other thing I do is I'm surprisingly good at when I'm like about to lose predicting what useless card I'm about to draw. So, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it's the dread Hellkite when I need a blocker. Yeah, yeah. That's what <laughs> happened to me today too. I was like, someone had a what is it called? The uh, the one time Borderland oh. Scout. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Borderland. Yeah, someone Borderland, played Borderland, Borderland Lookout. Scout. And I had a really slow hand, and I was, like, a little stuck on power. So then I was at three power, and I had... They managed to kill all my early games, so I had two five drops in my hand. And I was a, a two-faction deck, flashing a third color. And so I was, at, I was at three power with two five drops in hand. And then I was like, man, I bet you I'm going to draw my splash color next turn and then next turn i drew my splash color of course so then it went to a three four and now i still had two five drops in hand i needed my fifth power and i was like i bet you my next draw is going to be my ancient manual Mm -hmm. and uh it was of course my ancient manual which then had to then (laughs) give them a fourth color and i couldn't play either of my five drops and then i died you know what's happening there is in a sea of infinite possibilities. You're just constantly shifting your consciousness into the worst version of the universe that you want to occupy. You yeah. got to stop that. <laughs> it is. It's a bad habit I have. I. That's what I. It's. I mean, it's like slightly different than what you were talking about. But like, I have a tendency to like, woe is me and how unlucky I am. And then I'll like pull up the hypergeometric calculator and be like, okay, what were the chances I would draw a fire into an ancient manual? And it'd be like, oh, 3%, of course. Uh-huh. And you truly were unlucky. And it's like, it's, I don't think, it's not healthy. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound healthy. I mean, it's healthy if you love statistics and probabilities. And you I mean, I do. <laughs> I just wish that I could, I would sometimes do that when I top deck a great card. That but. would be healthy. See, that would be, ba- that would be at least balanced. I don't know if it would be healthy. But it would be balanced. Yeah. Question uh, 11. Okay. So this is Jed uh, once again. We kind of talked about this, but what inspired the creation of Farming Eternal? 
it was mostly like I said, I felt like there was a lack of of content of of podcasts in for Eternal that sort of fit my need because I really wanted I wanted to produce a podcast that was interesting for someone to listen to that maybe like doesn't play a lot. Like I like listening to really like high level deep magic podcasts because um, since I don't get to play a lot, I knew that's where I can get sort of scratch that itch. And I wanted something like that for podcasts. Like when, when I used to play a little bit of Hearthstone, there were a few Hearthstone podcasts where they would actually play the game and comment, commentate the game and their game play, but mm-hmm. in podcast form. And I really liked listening to them because I didn't have a ton of time to play Hearthstone. And so I felt like I could learn and improve in playing just through listening to it. And so I wanted someone who, you know, I wanted to be like a really educational podcast for people who were busy, who could only listen to podcasts and couldn't watch streams all day because there are a lot of great streamers um, that can satisfy like that itch of like, if you want to get better at the game, but there weren't a lot of podcasts. Uh, this sort of this sort of transitions well into the next question. Uh, this is from Craig of Canada, uh, who asks why Eternal over other games in the space, such as Magic, Hearthstone, Gwent, etc. Um, I I mean I want to answer this question without like bashing anything in particular. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's easy to sort of be down on Hearthstone, but uh, the main thing that I always think first about Hearthstone, which I did used to play quite a bit, is that I'm grateful for it. Uh, sort of raising the bar for how uh, digital card games are presented and kind of creating an audience that didn't really exist for them before. Um, I don't know how many people stopped playing Hearthstone and then started playing Eternal or any other game, but um, I think they, it popularized that as a genre in a way that d- didn't quite exist in the same way. I was really excited for Hearthstone to come out back before um, it came out, and then it kind of lived up to all of my expectations early on. Uh, and I left because, I mean, Hearthstone sort of changed uh, as it went on um, to become, like, they they handled the, Hearthstone's basic system of gaining one mana per turn um, doesn't, uh, that that gets rid of the problem of, like, flooding and, and being screwed on power that Eternal and Magic have, but it also makes every game start to feel a little bit samey. And they solved that by putting a lot of random effects on the cards. So it became a more and more chaotic game as as they as it went on. And for the most part, people really enjoyed that. But I started feeling like a lot of games were up to chance that I and I didn't want them to be. And then the other thing was that in constructed at least, they um, they were pretty slow to nerf problem decks, and so there would be a dominant deck for for months, and I and I didn't enjoy playing in those kind of environments. They had kind of a hands off approach to it, and and sometimes when they did nerf cards, they would nerf them to the point where they didn't work at all anymore. So that would entirely destroy an enti- a type of deck in one fell swoop, and so I just didn't like their overall approach to it. So I moved to. Uh, Eternal Scrolls, sorry, um, Elder, Elder Scrolls, Scrolls Legends, um, which is essentially playing by Hearthstone's exact rules, but just with a different card set and a couple of different twists, like the split play field where you can play stealth units on one side. Uh, anyway, uh, that was it was like Hearthstone, but it was designed by Direwolf, 
And so the way it was designed appealed to me because Direwolf is a very good game designer. And so you could just tell that these were people experienced at making card games and playing card games, making a card game. Uh, So it was like everything good about Hearthstone, but with this depth uh, of strategy that I was missing in Hearthstone. So I played that right up until the point when Direwolf was taken off of the project. And I wasn't playing it for the Elder Scrolls characters. I was playing it because Direwolf was was designing it. So that's when I moved to Eternal because that was a game that the same people who made a game that I loved were still were still designing. So, uh, so Eternal kind of took over. And the reason I'm not playing Magic is because I didn't have a PC that could play Magic, like you were saying. It wasn't available on mobile. I was playing Eternal on my tablet for a long time. Uh, so I just didn't. I just wasn't. I just had no way of playing Magic Arena, and I was already too deep into Eternal by the time I got a PC that could play Arena. So I just uh, I didn't have time to play both. I, I would have to learn how to play uh, modern Magic again from scratch, and I could do it, but it would take a lot of time and investment, and I I don't need to because I've already got a game of this type that I that I like. Yeah, I'm a little similar. When Hearthstone came out, I played that for a while, and then especially when it was just the first set, I. I liked Arena a lot, but it kind of got old after a while for me because there just wasn't a, a ton of variety and everything was, there were a lot of vanilla creatures and stuff like that. So I kind of moved away from Hearthstone and didn't play any card games. And then I was kind of ready to, wanted to play card games again. So I got back into Hearthstone and I did play it for uh, quite a few months. And then so I played through Old Gods and then the next set or two after Old Gods. And then I feel like Hearthstone just never clicked with me. I don't know if it's... I I really think it's just the fact that the attacker has the advantage in Hearthstone as compared to in Magic or Eternal where you sort of have... You get to choose your blocks. And just for some reason, I just am a lot more comfortable in that system. And I don't actually know why, but in in Hearthstone, I just felt like I could never play around anything because it was harder for me to anticipate what my opponent was doing. So when I found Eternal and it had this, this other combat system, it was like it felt just slower and more strategic. And I was able to think about it. <laughs> I was just able to play it better. And mm-hmm. so I started playing Eternal and it really clicked with me. And the fact that it was on mobile, which is, you know, having kids and a busy life is the way I play most games or I play Eternal, which is my only game I play, really. That's the reason I chose it over Magic is because I there's I have very few times where I can just like sit at a computer to play a game. And so Magic just would never work. Sure. So, yeah, that's kind of why I played I play Eternal because for some reason the combat system clicks with me better. Like you said, I think it's a really well-developed game. It's a lot of fun, and you can play it on mobile. Another question from Craig of Canada is, if you could make an archetype tier one from this set, which would you choose? And I guess this refers to uh, how there's quite a few uh, synergistic archetypes in the set that seem... A little under supported compared to just getting big creatures and 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 swinging with them uh so or 
I guess, I mean, I guess some, I guess there's, there's quite a few faction pairings that seem potentially interesting, but there's less support for some than others. Is that yeah, what you get from this question? That's what I was assuming. So yeah. I, I kind of just picked uh, Spellcrag. Skycrag has like a cool identity in the set and it's a, an identity they keep trying to make work, but they just, it never seems to work. And, you know, it has a card like Greed's Reward, which I think seems like a really cool card, but it's just so hard to get spell any spell damage, at least to me. Yeah. It's a shame that a cool card like Greed's Reward is literally the last card you see in every single pack. I, I think when the deck comes together, it's really strong, but it comes together so very, very, very rarely that it might as well not exist. And the fact that it can't come together, even though it is always open or, or yeah. whatever yeah. is really weird yeah it just doesn't have the support it needs i guess i would choose self mill because it's uh sort of a minorly supported archetype that i think could be stronger without wrecking the game um so we've talked about uh how milling your opponent can be very powerful uh, i don't know if i would describe it as tier one but it is a strong when it comes together but it doesn't feel good losing to a good mill deck. Like it feels like you're racing against them destroying your library and they're playing a different game than you are. Like you're trying to kill them and you're they're trying to kill you, but they're doing it doing it in a completely different way that doesn't care about anything that you do on the board. And and uh like that's that's fine. That's like not the worst thing in the world, but it doesn't feel great. But if somebody is taking advantage of their own void and like using uh, and, and getting abilities off their cards when they discard them on purpose, that seems like a legitimate strategy and like a fun thing to do. But they hardly supported that strategy at all. They put like Icy Gaze and then that one two one shadow creature that can't block. And that's basically it for cards that work on, on discard. Um, and you can't have cards like the... You can't be playing cards for free on a discard uh, just willy-nilly. They can't be super powerful. But it feels like they could have done more with that, like require them to have a cost or something, which then that's just madness from Magic the Gathering. But there's, you know, mad, madness wasn't was a pretty fun ability <laughs> as long as they don't, didn't go overboard. But it, it's uh, it's something where I'm like always like, oh, I've got this fear stoker raven and then I've got these icy gazes. Uh, should I do should I do this? Should I go into this more? No, that's a recipe for disaster. And I feel like. It shouldn't be a recipe for disaster. I feel like that should be a legit strategy. Yeah, I mean, I do think, like, Fear Stoker Raven, obviously, that triggers off of your opponent. But, um, like, the Fervent no, Siphoner Stoker, Fear, Fear Stoker. Stoker Raven are, I think, good going towards that in a good way. I mean, Fear Stoker, Fear Stoker activates no matter who discards. So it, it does. Even less than, like, the Faceless or Nameless one or whatever. You know, if there were sort of a threshold, but for your own graveyard cards... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There wow. is technically threshold because the because like that one power two three elf rare triggers off of your own threshold, but I think that might be the only card that does. Yeah. And so, so basically you're you've got cards that fuel your own void and you can take advantage of it with something like Immortalize, but that's that's about it. I think that could have been stronger and it would have been it would have been a nice avenue to go down and draft. Um, I guess that doesn't really answer the question because that wouldn't make either one of those archetypes tier one, but it is, those are, it's sort of, it's an okay answer. I think that was great. I think we did great. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's okay. the most overrated card in this set, in your opinion? This is the third of the three questions from Craig of Canada. I'm going with draw strength here. Obviously, this is this is going to be very similar to uh, when I was arguing that twin brood sauropod was overrated. Uh-huh. I I agree. Draw strength, good card. Yes, great card. Mm-hmm. My point is, people talk about it like it's on the same level as Grodov's favored, mm-hmm. and I do not think it is anywhere close to Grodov's favored. And I think. If you think about the uncommons, it becomes more clear. Because if you look through the uncommons and then you look uh, and try to find cards that you would pick over Grodas Favored, it's a very small list. I find that there are a lot more uncommons that I would first pick over a draw strength. And so I just, you know, I guess I just see people talk about draw strength like it's one of the best cards in the set but i think at the end of the day it's a good card but it's just a combat trick and you need other good cards in your deck while grodas favored for example just does everything yeah that's true yeah i I don't really have a sense for how highly people are uh, are rating draw strength these days, but there's a limit to how many I'll play, and I don't think that you can ever cut a Grodov's favored from your deck, no matter how many you have. It's just that broken of a card, unfortunately. There should be some penalty for people playing like six of them in their <laughs> deck, but it doesn't seem like there is. Uh, <laughs> so I think I convinced you. I'm going to put this at, for a win in my category here. I'm not disagreeing with you, uh, but I don't think either one of us is saying that it's not a strong card. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm just. The question was most overrated, and I. I think draw strength is. I think there are. There's a limit to the number of draw strengths you want to play, and draw strength doesn't make a deck. Unlike Grodos favored, which yeah. in the, and I only keep mentioning Grodos favored because I think a lot of people put the two cards in the same category as like the best cards in the best commons. Sure. And while I agree they are like the best commons, there's a gap. There's a, a surprisingly large gap that people I think okay. don't talk about. Yeah. Uh the the card that I chose here was Inflict Conscience, and I hate to uh keep bringing up Inflict Conscience, but uh I still I still see people playing it, so it's probably being overrated. <laughs> um I I think it's that bad. Uh and I I've seen a lot of them being played in decks that can't possibly take advantage of the fact that they've put an inflict conscience on something. So I think uh, uh, I don't think it's an unplayable card. I just think that it's be- it's still being valued much higher than than it should be. Uh, and like I've I've lost count of the number of games where someone has played an inflict conscience on me and I've won it. And because it's I, I've I've almost never lost a game where someone has played an inflict conscience on me and then gone on to win the game because they threw away one of their cards, delaying me from attacking, but for a turn. That's I, I like I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to rant about the card anymore because I think I've done it multiple times now, including the first episode that I that I that I was a guest on, and uh, uh, 
I, I would just say that it's worth about the one power that you spend on it. It's not like a Swords to Plowshares like card that, that takes a unit out of combat. It's a card that two-for-ones yourself because it's going to trade with something or else it's going to kill you still. Inflict Conscience doesn't stop a unit from killing you or trading with another unit. It just delays your demise by a turn. Um, and then you have to draw something else that actually has an effect on the game because Inflict Conscience by itself just extends the game. Uh, and maybe that's not maybe that's more to your opponent's advantage than it is to yours. The one thing it's very good at is keeping... Uh, flying units from attacking repeatedly until you're dead. And I don't think that that situation comes up as often as people think it does in a draft game. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it when I... Uh, never mind. No, there's no more. I, I'm, I'm just, it's too. It's it's my it's my it's my biggest difference between like me and everyone else drafting this format. It feels like I know there's people who agree with me, but it, I think there's there's so many people who still see it as a as something that you should pick up fairly early. It's like no, it's removal. It's not removal. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I guess I don't know if people are picking up early. I'm still a little undecided. I still can't figure out quite where I place this card. Yeah. Um, so I'm probably a little higher on it than you are, but it's just it's a I think it is a high variance card, which maybe makes it not a good card because sometimes it's it's good and sometimes it's very very bad. And yeah, yeah like you, like you said, we don't need to say too much more about it. I think. Yeah, and it's again, uh, again, not unplayable, just overrated. Yeah. All right, so I think we're gonna have to call it quits here. Yeah, yeah, we we just we just uh, we're just going too in depth on all of these questions. Uh, um, it's too bad because we didn't get to the most frivolous ones. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to do another episode that's just the frivolous questions. <laughs> well, well, I yeah. Not only that is, I feel like we <laughs> we left the the most frivolous ones and the most like actual about eternal gameplay ones. Right, we did get some nice sort of technical uh, questions that would be good for beginners in in Eternal Draft, that kind of thing. We got a bunch of those that we didn't get to. So I think we will maybe, if like I said, if people find this interesting, we could finish this off. And then some of the more technical ones, um, you know, I think those could be made into an episode. So yeah. uh, yeah, I can see us. I can see us dropping that into an episode, and maybe uh, expanding in a couple of directions to, to to sort of cover some more bases too. But I am disappointed because Grandmaster Son asked waffles or pancake, and I have a great pancake recipe. But we're gonna have to wait till later, so you don't have to keep listening to figure out. <laughs> oh, this is the worst way of ending the show. <laughs> it's to tease that you have a great pancake recipe. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have to wait till episode 42 to hear this one. Oh, man. But uh, I do think that will end our show. I'd like to thank everyone who sent a questions and for the people who sent a question that we didn't answer, you know, like Spiffy Man, Grand Masterson, Berserk Tank, and Ben Grasher and Max and Scam. So as well as all the people we actually answered the questions for. So thank you all for taking the time to send in questions. Oh, God, there's more. There's a whole nother page. Okay, Callum Milk <laughs> and, and Ben Grayshire. We thank you too. Whew. We got a lot of questions. That's the point. 
and we appreciate it. We appreciate you taking the time to ask. We yeah, obviously thanks. took a lot of time to answer. We so. did. We did. We did not skimp on the words. All right. So I think that's our show this week. Uh, thanks again to all our patrons for helping make this show a success. Um, thanks to everyone for you know participating, building this great community. Um, if you're not a patron, if you are a patron, do this too. If you're not a patron, please do this. Give us a five-star rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Join us in our Discord. Thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts about the show. And then don't forget to send in all your seven-win deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.